Today we're starting a series called God Questions. We got some questions for God and we're going to look at his word to answer them. So over the next five weeks, we're going to ask some questions. And this very first question we have today is where is God? Have you ever looked at the world around us and what's happening and just thought to yourself, where is God? Or maybe you've done this, right? Have you ever saw a kid acting a fool in a grocery store and thought, where is their parents? Right? Hopefully it wasn't mine. Mine are pretty good. But sometimes we see the death and disease and pain and evil in the world. And we see the people that are being hurt. And we begin to feel that question welling up inside of us. Where is their father? Today on this Easter Sunday, I want to tell you that when that question comes up in your mind, you are not alone in thinking that. There was a moment in time when Jesus Christ himself asked that question as well. Matthew 27 is where we'll be for a good chunk of this if you want to turn there. I'm going to read about 11 verses. Matthew chapter 27. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there uh, in your pew. We'll also have it up there on the screen as well. It's talking about the crucifixion. It says, and when they had crucified him. Try and picture this as we go through this. They had divided his garments among them by casting lots. And then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put a charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. This was done as a, a way to mock him. Verse 38 Then the two robbers who were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their head and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Verse 44, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried in anguish on the cross, essentially saying, God, where are you? God, why aren't you with me? And we know who Jesus is, right? An equal part of the Godhead, the Trinity, born of a virgin. God literally wrapped himself in flesh and walked among us to be tempted like we are tempted, fully man and fully God to save us and to bring us back in relationship with him. So he knew the answer to this question, but it still hurt. He knew the answer to the why, but he still felt it. And this great rescue plan always led through the cross. But as much as love was displayed on the cross, so was evil, right? The only really good person to have ever lived, the only really innocent person that ever walked the earth was beaten within an inch of his life and long thorns pressed down on his skull. He was 
forced to carry his own torture device up a uh, a hill while a a crowd mocked him and spit on him. He was stripped naked and held down to some boards by soldiers and, and spikes nailed through his hands and his feet. His stomach was punctured with a spear and then the flicker of life went out in his eyes. Yes, love was displayed on the cross, but so was the epitome of dark, wretched evil. It's no wonder the Son of God cried out in agony with, why? And you've done this too. Whether it's been your own experience with pain or evil, or maybe with the suffering of a child, we experience an encounter with evil and we feel so overwhelmed in the deepest core of our being with one word, Why? Where is God? God, why aren't you with me? And there are many former Christians that have lost their faith because of this problem of evil. They cannot reconcile it. They'll say things like former Christian and evangelist Charles Templeton said in 1978 after losing his faith. He said, I have looked at the world and it doesn't seem to me that it bespoke a God that could be described as father. It seems to be a universe indifferent to man and to all its creatures. See, the problem of evil is not a new thing, but it is a big problem. And even recently, there have been some prominent pastors who have lost their faith because of this barrier of belief called evil. God, where are you? Now, one reason the problem of evil is so persuasive is because for many of us, the only time we think about God is when Evil comes crashing through our door. Today, I think about my job. I think about my stuff. I think about my retirement. I think about my comfort. I think about myself. And I'm constantly bombarded with messages that scream at me. Why do I need to think about who made me and why I'm created and what my purpose is? And was this all an accident? Why do I need to do that? No, distraction is the drug of choice to drown out questions like this. Food, clothes, shelter, medicine. There's not been one time in my life that I was worried I would ever have access to those things. And that's a blessing. But I'm still stuck in the pursuit to make those things better for myself, to get more, to get more security and comfort. But life hasn't always been like this. Around 200 years ago, around the founding of this church, people shoved their families into covered wagons to make a six-month journey from Missouri to California. Around 250,000 pioneers traversed mountains and rivers in a wooden wagon. Think about that. I thought driving to Disney was bad. (laughs) If you played the game Oregon Trail, you're familiar with this a little bit, right? You remember this game? You know the dangers that lie ahead for these people. Contaminated water, starvation, cholera, smallpox, and the dreaded dysentery. One in ten settlers would die along that trail, amounting to roughly 30,000 deaths and burials between 1841 and 1869. They say this Oregon Trail is the longest graveyard ever. I'm not sure how you would feel in a scenario like that, 
But I would believe that I would wake up with an intense understanding that I needed God. I'd be much less distracted by the trivial. But it wasn't all bad, right? You had time with family. You had peace and quiet moments to think, scenery like you'd never seen before, and the constant answer to prayer that you made it through another day with a full belly and good health. So not only were those people less distracted, but they also uh, would have constantly experienced a sense of wonder. Whether in a sunset or in a smile, neither can be recreated in the dim light of a screen. Now, side note here, these people may have been less distracted, but they still had some pretty big blind spots about how they treated women, children, and minorities, okay? But they experienced pause and meditation and times to think and to ponder who they were and why they were made. Bruce Shelley says this, he says, today... Many people are just too busy to worry about the existence of God. The preoccupation is usually a product of affluence. We're swamped by things, things to see, things to buy, things to finance, things to repair, things to store, things to dump. Jesus speaks of this in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, that the worries of this life can sometimes choke out the seed of the word of God. And our constant sense of here and now dulls our sense of spiritual reality. See, we believe we are okay without God, and therefore we think very little about Him until the problem of evil breaks down our door. And then it's God, why? God, where are you? Now, the Bible, uh, the Bible is not scrubbed or sanitized of questions like this, the prophets asked them too, like in Habakkuk 1.12. Habakkuk says to God, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, have, uh, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Now look at this. It says, Why do you idly look at Traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he. Habakkuk says, God, you are powerful and you are good and you are eternal and you are in charge. So why don't you do something about the evil people in the world? Why are you silent? Why are you standing by and letting the innocent be hurt by the wicked? In other words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken us? Where are you? Okay, we, we understand and we admit that evil exists and bad things happen. So why doesn't God just eliminate evil? If God is good, how does he not step in and put an end to evil? Skeptic John Stuart Mill said it this way. He said, if God is able to prevent evil and does not, he is not good. If he would prevent evil and he cannot, then he is not almighty. And at first blush, this seems simple, right? But let's talk about the different types of evil in this world. Most of our pain comes from human action or inaction. Violence, shooting, death, divorce, crime, abuse, genocide, terrorism. Most of the evil falls on the shoulders of human decisions. 
There isn't always a reason for evil. We, we hear that a lot, that this happens for a reason. Yes, yeah, sometimes it happens for the reason that sin is in this world and people make bad decisions and I feel the result of those things. Sometimes it's just that we live in a world broken by sin. Bruce Shelley also said this. He says, as a race, human beings show an amazing capacity to inflict suffering, suffering on each other. I said all of this. I built all up to this one thing when thinking about evil. If today God were to immediately solve the problem of evil, he would have to snuff you out. We are participants in evil as much as we are victims of it. All evil in the world is a result of this thing called sin. Romans 5.12 tells us how this happened. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through a man, that was Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. We cannot stand back and say, why doesn't God eliminate evil without understanding that we bring evil into this world? We were born with a debt of sin from our fathers, and since then we have compounded that debt over and over and over again. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that means we should be glad that for now, God is yet to judge evil once and for all because we participate in it daily. Okay, well, how about this? What if God just eliminated the really, really, really bad people, right? Where does that line get drawn? I know I wouldn't consider my friends and my family in that category. Definitely not me. I'm not one of those. Not to mention, the couple of times in the Bible when God did that, we're extremely uncomfortable with that, right? We look at the, the instance of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Where God looked at a wicked city and gave, uh, 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 and gave evil the judgment it deserved, right? We don't like that. that I, I, that's not any fun. No one wants to think about that. Or how about another occurrence that was uh, the flood, right? God saved a, a handful of righteous people, but because of the problem of evil had gotten so bad, he started over. And when we think about that, we cringe when we read these stories. I don't want that to happen. Okay, so maybe I don't want God to wipe out all evil, right? Maybe I'm okay with some of it, right? The, the evil that I do is okay not to wipe out. But what if God just ignored the bad things that happened then, right? What if he just turned a blind eye to uh, some of that sin? And maybe he could just relax a little bit, right? Well, that doesn't fix this problem either because God is a righteous judge. And a good judge doesn't let innocent go abused or the guilty go unpunished. A good judge punishes the guilty and protects the innocent. See, the truth is, is that we are all sinners and we have all rejected the commands of a creator, God, and chosen disobedience. Romans 3.10 says there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 6.23 says for the wages of sin is death. 1 John 1.8 says if we say we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves, and the truth is not in us. See, the problem of evil is deeper than we first thought. Why doesn't God just eliminate evil? Because that evil is in each of us. And whether you want to admit it or not, the problem of sin is in you. 
See, God gave every human that has ever lived a choice in life. He gave us this thing called a free will. That's the ability to choose right and wrong. And God isn't a dictator. He isn't a tyrant. He doesn't force himself upon you. And with that choice comes the ability to choose to do wrong. And every wrong that we do has a bigger impact than we think. Because I'm selfish, I take more than my share and then someone else goes hungry. And because I'm prideful, I put someone down and they feel like less. Because I'm angry, I lash out at someone that did nothing wrong. Our sin has a far-reaching impact. And when you put this many people in the room together, we're going to hurt each other. Because I'm going to put myself first. But see, life really isn't life without choices, right? My car goes when I press the gas pedal. Why? Because it doesn't have a choice. It doesn't have a mind of its own. And without choice, there is no consciousness. There is just programming. How happy would I be without choice? And how close is that to slavery? And not to mention, how would I ever know the forgiving and merciful God that created us without this freedom to choose right and wrong? How often have my bad choices led me to understand the deep love of God and that I needed him? So evil is a problem and evil does exist. And we might not realize it, that, but even invoking that idea of right and wrong tells us that there is a creator judge that made us with a purpose. Because if all this was just an accident, then why can't I steal your grandma's life savings? Right? If all this is just an accident, they'll, fine, give me your car. There's no right and wrong. We're just here for no reason. And whenever you say that's not fair, it's an appeal to a moral code. And that implies a moral code giver. Now, Jesus understood evil intimately. He even taught us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, God, deliver us from evil. Okay, so here's the big question, right? So where is God when evil prevails? God is on the cross experiencing all the evil of the world at once and making a way for you to be delivered uh, from evil without snuffing you out. He made a way for evil to be defeated once and for all without eliminating you. Jesus took your place. And the evil that would be punished was in me. And Jesus says, I'll take that. I'll be punished instead. And once you understand how truly wicked and deserving you are of judgment and that you can truly experience the wonder and beauty of the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross, then you'll understand where God is when evil prevails. He's making a way for you to get to Him. And He's making a way that He can still be a holy and a righteous judge, and evil will still go punished. But instead of you suffering the punishment for it, He suffered Himself. 
And when we realize that we're not just the victims of evil, but full participants, then we begin to understand that when we feel and see the presence of evil in this world, our reaction should not be to angrily shout at God, oh God, why did you let this happen to me? But rather to know and to say, God, I know that my sin and evil have brought into this world a great deal of pain and it deserves punishment. And God, I realize that every moment that I have on this earth is full of grace and mercy because you took the punishment that my sin deserved. And I'm forever grateful for how you rescued me. We will all experience pain and evil. And yes, God can pull beautiful things from evil. And he can take our pain and make beauty from the ashes. But we also live in a fallen world with other sinners. And sometimes the evil around us might just look senseless. But don't give up. Justice will prevail in the end and the victory is already assured. Death, disease, pain, and yes, evil have been defeated. And at the perfect time, Christ will bring a glorious conclusion to all of it. So have hope and cling to verses like this in John 16, when Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me, you might have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. God is in control and God is good. And he himself came to solve the problem of evil. He was not content to let us live in our sin. He came to be present with us in the pain. So where is God? He's right now walking with you through the valley of shadow of death. But don't be afraid. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And be thankful that God hasn't eliminated evil yet. Because that means that there's one more day on this earth to give back to him. Jesus knows what it feels like to see and feel the overwhelming evil in this world and to cry, God, have you forsaken us? Never forget that the worst thing in the world happened to the best person in the world. And the full force of his deity then rose him from the grave on Easter morning, defeating the sting of evil for now and once and for all, very soon. Christ brought the, cur uh, the cure uh, for evil through the cross. And because of what Christ did on the cross, anyone that repents and accepts the gift of salvation has a promise that they will one day see a time when evil is extinguished forever. So where is God? He is with you, showing off his grace and mercy by giving you and your cousin and your friend and every other person on this earth one more day to repent from their evil and turn from their wicked ways and accept the forgiveness that he extends. And in doing so, have that ability to join us in the next life where we get to see what it's like to live with no pain and no tears and no death and no evil at all. I don't know about you, but I 
can't wait. So where is God? He's present with you in the pain. He has defeated the sting of death on the cross. God is with you. Let's pray. Every head bowed and eyes closed. As the band comes. We ask these questions, and sometimes we're scared of them, right? Maybe our upbringing told us that asking questions like this was wrong. But these questions, when we're open-hearted and open-minded for an almighty God, are not too big for Him. And when we come to God's Word and we look at it, and we see all that Christ has done, we can ask these questions with full assurance that God can bear the weight of them. And on the other side, you're going to find a deeper relationship. You may have done like Jesus did on the cross and said, where is God? When evil prevails, what is he doing? God is with you in that pain. And the cross was the only way that God could deal with evil as a righteous and a holy God without snuffing you out. So give him the praise and the glory that he deserves for his mercy and his forgiveness. God is good and God is in control. And even when the world seems out of control, he is still with you. Maybe you haven't accepted the forgiveness that he has offered you. Maybe you haven't repented of your sin and put your faith completely on Jesus Christ. You can do that today on Easter Sunday, 2022. That's what this whole week is about. Jesus marching towards the cross so that he could deal with evil without you feeling the weight of that punishment. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the sons of God. If you haven't ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do that today once and for all. You got to admit and understand that you're a sinner. And there's a penalty for that sin, which is eternal separation in a place called hell. But Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us and even though we were sinners, Christ died for us. You don't have to suffer the punishment that you deserve for your sin. Christ already paid the debt. You simply have to turn from everything else you're holding on to, all your good works. Maybe it's church membership or just something in your past. Your parents were Sunday school teachers. You've got to turn from all that stuff and put your faith completely on Jesus as the only means of your salvation. On the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can call out to God with something like this right now. The words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. You change it however you need to. The important thing is that you mean it. You're being genuine with God. 
you could call out to God with something like this right now. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, forgive me. I'm turning from my sin and turning to you. Put my faith in what Jesus did on the cross and on his resurrection. It's the only means to save me. that's you, I'd love for you to just fill that out on your connection card. You meant it. You're not messing around. You're not playing games. You're not just going through the emotions. You meant it in your heart. You fill that out and say, I chose Jesus down there at the bottom or on the back or somewhere. No greater thing than you could ever do, uh, do in your whole entire world. We're going to sing. If you want to stand, please. Let's continue this attitude of meditation and invitation on what God is doing in our hearts.